This episode of Converge with my guest, Chris Gillibo, is sponsored by The Go Summit. Achieve unprecedented results in your business and life this year. For more information, check out fasttrackcreative.com forward slash go. Converge is my chance to connect with creatives who make really interesting things. And when they can, profit from those things, often in ways that might surprise you. My background as a photographer and author gets me in conversations with visual storytellers and writers, but also musicians, actors, business and thought leaders, basically people who work very hard, not just to make a buck, but also to make a point. The invitation is to understand a little more of the context that surrounds their work, and hopefully discover a fresh perspective that might inspire something new around the value you're making in the world. Seth Godin has said the privilege to do our work, to be in control of the promises we make and the things we build is something worth cherishing. One of my favorite people who genuinely lives this responsibility out is the travel hacker and entrepreneur Chris Gillibo, author of The Art of Nonconformity, Set Your Own Rules, Live the Life You Want and Change the World, as well as The $100 Startup, Reinvent the Way You Make a Living, Do What You Love, and Create a New Future. I had the chance to sit down with Chris in a virtual coffee conversation right around the time he was publishing The $100 Startup. The book went on to become a massive success, hitting both the Wall Street Journal and New York Times bestselling lists, largely, I think, because it offers readers a way of relating with their work that opens up possibility where they didn't think they had any before they started reading. One of my favorite ideas that Chris talks about is the importance of intentional rebellion against conformity. To Chris, it's not about a job or being self-employed, more so leading a life that is responsibly fulfilling. In other words, he lays out some actionable nuggets to take with you on your own creative journey. If you're new to the Business of Creativity podcast, welcome. These are brief conversations with real people looking to revolutionize the converging spaces of creativity and business. They shouldn't take much longer than it takes to steep your tea, add some honey, and enjoy it. I've been recording these conversations under various names and formats for years. Along the way, there have been some timeless conversations that given how quickly we move in this internet age, you may have missed, or if you're like me, you just need a reminder. That's why in addition to my more real-time podcasts, I also decided to go back into the archives and hand-select and remaster conversations that have perennial appeal. This conversation with Chris is one of those classics. In this case, you're in for a treat as the insights of Chris Gillibo around responsibility, what's possible, and how to be a rebel for good may just change your perspective forever. What about this idea of uh, orienting our life around creative work? And every day we get up and we're like, what am I going to make? You know, what am I going to share with the world? And so, you know, I think both things are important, the making and the sharing. I'm Dane Sanders, and I want to welcome you to Converge. I can't imagine a better guest than uh, our own Chris Gillibo. And when I say our own, I mean like the Internet's own. Uh, uh, Chris, uh, welcome to the show. Dane, thanks so much for having me. It's an honor. It's my pleasure. And honestly, it's funny. The the more rebels we get on the show, the more it seems like viewers appreciate it. And Mm -hmm. uh, you're about as nice a rebel there is on the planet. (laughs) But you are a rebel. It's striking to me. Your your book, uh, The Art of Nonconformity, and your blog, and all that you've done. Share a little bit, and I, I don't feel like you have to be too long-winded with it, but just okay. share a little bit about how you got to where you are and, and what you're up to. Yeah, sure. You know, the, the Art of Nonconformity thing, It's um, in many ways it is about being a rebel, but hopefully it's about being a rebel for good and about um, you know creating something and making something that, that improves the state of the world, which is something I know you talk a lot about. So... 
Yeah, where to start? Uh, I'm a writer, traveler, entrepreneur. I've been self-employed for pretty much all my adult life. It's not because I was a genius or an entrepreneur, quote unquote, for a long time. I just mostly was motivated to not have a job. Like I didn't want to answer to someone else. I wanted to, you know, be responsible for myself and my own well-being. And uh, I worked in West Africa for about four years. I was a volunteer there. It was a great experience. Really affected a lot of my worldview. And then uh, after I came back to the states uh, with my wife Jolie. Did a grad school program, uh, which was somewhat interesting, but then I started writing. So I started the Art of Nonconformity site, became a book, started doing tours and meetups. I, I'm on this quest to visit every country in the world, so I write about that. Um, I start businesses, I write things, I, I like to create. I'm um, a lot like you and probably a lot like a lot of the listeners. Well, it's it's funny that there's so much in your, your history, and I, I just want to touch on a couple pieces. Uh, you said a couple things that were striking. Number one, you didn't want to work for the man at least initially, and then you framed it as you wanted to be responsible uh, in that in that position of kind of owning your life. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about, about the difference between just not wanting, like being re rebellious for rebellious sake and actually taking the, well, I've heard you say this one quote, you actually can get it all in your life, you just can't get it all at the same time. Or right, some yeah, paraphrased version of like, that. Um, something like you can, you can have anything you want, but probably not everything, you know? Um, so it's a, it's a matter of deciding on importance and deciding on priorities. So in my case, um, I think it was an evolution of, of motivations. Hmm. You know, I, I did kind of start out as a rebel at a young age, like I stole cars. I was a high school dropout. Fortunately, I kind of outgrew that, um, that pretty quickly. But yeah, I mean, I guess the, the motivation was I, I wasn't a good employee. I was always very independent-minded. Um, it's not like I, I had a terrible boss or anything. It's just... Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I realized I really wasn't, you know, suited to work in a traditional workplace, which again is probably similar uh, to a lot of your listeners. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, th in the beginning, the motivation was how can I, as you say, be responsible and, uh, you know, make a living? What can I do? This was 12 years ago, so I started selling things on eBay. I learned how to build websites um, back when it was easy to do so. You know, now mm -hmm. designers are amazing, so I don't do it. Um, <laughs> I learned, I mean, all these little tricks and things that I did for a while, and that was fine, but I wasn't really, you know, building anything. I wasn't really, like, you know, contributing anything positive to the state of the world. So I guess as time went by, you know, and then also the four years in Africa really helped a lot, I, I kind of felt like, um, you know, I'm very privileged um, to be able to do this. And, like, uh, you know, it's, I should feel really grateful for the chance that I've, that, for the fact that I've learned to be self-employed and mm -hmm. that I don't have to go to this life-sucking job, you know, like a lot of people do. And uh, really what motivates me is to, to help other people do that and to, you know, do what I want to do, but then hopefully also contribute something positive as well. So I think it's, it's usually an evolution like that, right? You know, it's like it's okay to be motivated to do your own thing for the, for the sake of doing it. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, after a while people realize like, okay, I don't want to just sit on the beach all day. I don't want to just kind of withdraw into myself. I actually want to, you know, connect with other people. And it sounds like that had a something happened in Africa that really shifted for you. What what happened over there on your trip? Well, you know, it was kind of a post 9/11 thing. So it was it was the going to Africa. It was like 9/11 happened, and I was depressed, just like everybody else in America and many people around the world, and just mm -hmm. trying to figure out, you know, what do I do with my life, and how can I, um, you know, make some kind of positive contribution. Mm -hmm. And I looked around at what I was doing at home in America, and it didn't it just didn't seem that significant. And so I thought, surely there's something more. Um, and so I just heard about this volunteer opportunity to go and live on a hospital ship. So I went there and, uh, you know, four years in Sierra Leone, mm -hmm. Liberia, the mm -hmm. poorest countries in the world. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of, you know, lessons and personal change and transformation that happened uh, to mm -hmm. me there. And I mean, for me, the fascinating thing was um, Julie and I, my wife, we would come home once a year 
we talk with people and people are always really amazed and they would say oh it's just it's you know it's great what you guys are doing and um, you know we realized pretty quickly that you know that wasn't the whole story like it was great that we could do this but for us like it was like it was changing our lives too you know for the better so it was really the best decision that we made so I think that had a lot to do with it hmm. so uh, you find yourself calibrated you're clear on what you want to do and we're talking to you now in a in a moment in your life where you have built a lot of a lot of assets that are available to the world. So if people go to your blog or they follow you on Twitter or Facebook or wherever, uh, they can get access to a lot of resources on how to take kind of an independent individual stance mm -hmm. and and live out their life in a, a methodical, disciplined, very disciplined actually way sure. uh, that, that's really striking. There's a lot of folks who are, are wrestling with a lot of those ideas, but they're not they're not as unencumbered. They're in situations where maybe their spouse lost a job and they have to become a photographer, or, or maybe maybe it is they are still single but um, they have debt or whatever it is. What are some kind of pre choices that need to be made before, or the kind of context that needs to be set for someone to be in a situation where they can choose their own adventure? Sure. Yeah. Very good question. I, I think. You know, probably the first thing is, you know, maybe defining what that adventure is going to be and figuring out what it is that they want. And uh, like getting a vision for it and articulating it. Yeah, getting a vision, and it's okay if if you know you don't know the whole thing, right? But but discontent is really important. If you start feeling dissatisfied or discontent, you know, you have to deal with that one way or the other. You know, mm. um, I think a lot of people are unhappy just because they ignore that discontent. They think it'll just go away. And so, um, I mean, you know, all these things that you mentioned, these th these things in life that encumber us, you know, responsibilities, debt, um, you know, family situation, those things are very real, you mm -hmm. know, and so I, I don't want to be like pie in the sky, but I do think, you know, if something, if something matters to you, if it matters to you more than anything else, um, you will find a way to kind of make choices and begin, you know, following that path. doesn't necessarily mean you're going to, you know, quit your job and walk away from everything right away, especially if you're middle aged and have a family or, you know, some other responsibilities. I understand that. But, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in small changes. I'm a big believer in taking action over what, what we are responsible for, you know, over what, over what we can do. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of the readers in, in my community, it's a really diverse community with people from all ages and backgrounds, and, uh, and, and, there's, and everybody has their own story, right? So some people do make these dramatic changes all at once, and other people, you know, it's more of a mental shift that happens, and then the, the physical actions follow. So it's a situation like money. You know, then there's two things you can do. You can say, okay, I can focus on, you know, reducing debt and reducing expenses, or I can focus on increasing income, you know, to provide for some of those things. Maybe like I keep my day job, but I do something on the side. You know, what can I do to establish some freedom? I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the monetary projects that I've done, you know, in the beginning, they don't make very much money, but I usually feel very motivated by them. Even if it's a small amount of money, because I'm like, that, that was something that I did that came in without a paycheck, without anything else. Um, so I would always encourage people, if you can start something small, you know, do that. You know, that's what nights and weekends are for. Hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about those creativity uh, efforts that you've taken on. Like one, one that's come up for me a lot that actually did a whole retreat around uh, your book, The Tower. I, I took oh. off to, to San Francisco. And it, about two months later, a friend of mine actually put it put me on to the video game that you talked about. It. Oh, yeah. so I, but what I was uh, struck by in that process was, and this comes up a lot with with uh, photographers who want to do it, shoot professionally, 
and, and other creatives, writers, everybody, uh, this idea of taking on personal projects because they're meaningful to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if you're able to make money from them later, well, then maybe you will. I, I know for you, it's remarkable how much you are willing to create these, these you know, r- written pieces and different things. And then you put it out there and, and it's, there's, in fact, it seems like you work really hard to make sure nobody gives you money. Uh, for those things. Well, well, in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. Right. I mean, I have plenty of paid paid products too, and I'm happy to have those. Um, sure. But yeah, I know I'm motivated to to put out uh, resources. I'm motivated to create, right? And I know you have the same motivation. I'm motivated That's to create. Right. Like I, you know, I derive enjoyment from like making things and then sharing them with the world. And so, uh, yeah. I mean, so the situation with the tower. Basically, I'm you know I'm. I'm I'm providing a model of creating, and I'm saying, what if we oriented our lives around creative work? And there's all these different theories about the, the meaning of life, and different philosophies, and religious perspectives, and all those things. You know, may be valid. Uh, here's something else. You know, mm. what about this idea of uh, orienting our life around creative work? And every day we get up and we're like, what am I going to? What am I going to make? You know, what am I going to share with the world? And so, you know, I think both things are important: the making and the sharing. Because I started with this project to visit every country in the world. Mm-hmm. And that was somewhat interesting, you know, to some people, but it was mostly just a personal individual quest and there's nothing wrong with that. But I had to learn kind of over time, you know, how can I connect that to other people? Like, how can I make, mm-hmm. like, how, how can other people find some meaning or, um, I don't know if it's validation, but some kind of identity, how can they see that and then do something on their own? Like that to me was much, much more powerful, figuring out, you know, doing my own thing and then how to connect it to others. So. That's what that's what you know. Photographers do well, right? They pursue their art and then they they share it in some fashion, you know, whether online or offline or installation or whatever. But um, we mentioned Seth Godin earlier. You know, he has a theory that um, that art is not art unless it's actually shared. You know, which is kind of controversial, and you can say all kinds of things about it. But you know, whether that's true in essence or not, I certainly believe that art is much more powerful. You know, when it goes out into the world and other people are able to be involved with it. Well, that's actually a fantastic step to the question I was actually going to get to. <laughs> the real one. That you deepened it uh, on many levels. And um, it has to do with this juxtaposition of creativity and commerce or, yeah. you know, monetizing these things that you're creating. And, and you're right. I think, I think that as I've, uh, as someone who, who aspires to similar things that you've done in different, you know, different spaces, I mean, I, I've, I've studied your site. I've been like, what is he doing? And how is he <laughs> inviting people here? And I know I'm not the only guy who's, you know, played this game. <laughs> But but it, it's striking to me how it, it almost is like you've created a firewall, and this is just a perception, yeah. a firewall between the creative act and creating stuff and doing stuff, whether it be, you know, your very ambitious, you know, challenge of visiting every city uh, or country in the world. And But is there a need for a, a separation of, of church and state relative to creativity and commerce? Is it, is it valuable to just create for creation's sake and then decide what you're going to do with it or because because and here's the backdrop mike okay. i'm in a lot of conversations with a lot of photographers who initially got in because they wanted to create mm. and then in the middle of that they find themselves almost tempted or wooed away like well they're they're in a, a scarcity position mm-hmm. and they seem to be like well where's the opportunity and i'm going to go shoot right. that even mm-hmm. though it's not has nothing to do with what they initially got in the game for mm-hmm. so can you comment a little bit about mm. is that dynamic of the monetization and the creative process, and what goes through your mind, and how do you how do you negotiate that? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff there. I'm trying to think um, think where to begin. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned the firewall. I, I would say that there's not a firewall, at least in, in what I'm trying to do. Um, okay. I would say I'm trying to create something that's I'm trying to create convergence. I'm trying to create something that's uh, you know interrelated. 
Uh, I'm not a big believer in life-work balance, you know, to begin with, and so I would I would then apply that to this um, you know, the concept of creativity and commerce. I'm not really a believer in the church and state separation. Hmm. You know, I'm more interested in doing something that just just makes sense, you know, and and making money is certainly part of that, and creating is part of that. But um, I guess in some ways it depends on the project, you know, hmm. um, the the manifesto project we mentioned that that was certainly a like that, that um, is going to serve the world much better if it's free. You know, if it's paid, I'm sure some people will buy it, mm. but like a small fraction of them. But then I also have stuff that's paid. And then as the word goes out, more people come into my network. Um, I don't really pitch stuff that much. But when I do, you know, people are going to respond to it. And, and I guess I want to feel good about that. You know, mm. first of all, I want to sleep at night. But mm. then, um, you know, as part of that, there's nothing wrong with um, making money and doing commercial projects. You know, w- when you encounter an opportunity, usually know in your heart, like, or you know, however you conceive of it, usually can tell. Like, is this something that um, I feel good about? Is this something that's going to add value? If it does, then you know, I would certainly pursue it if it's um, a paid project. So I guess I'm not so interested in the in the separation. I'm interested in like what makes sense, you know. And, uh, and yeah, well, uh, and I, I love that, especially as an end result. I, and I, I and I'm with you. I, I'm I, I hate the idea of life work balance. I like the idea yeah. of committing to whatever I'm at yeah. immediately and all in on that thing. Yeah. Uh, but I was especially struck by this this question of you know what would what would serve the world the most whatever world that is whether yeah. it's kind of a grandiose world or it's you know just who I think would most benefit from a creation I I put together mm. um, that that is a that's a I'm going to think about that for a while because that's a an interesting filter because it seems to almost be like as you're creating something that you really do and maybe this is part of your worldview you really do believe that there is kind of a highest and best use of a creation that you come up with mm-hmm. and you're trying to kind of solve this kind of metaphysical riddle of where should this be positioned best is is that too poetic or kind of stretch no it's fine i think um i don't say i don't know if i would like i don't know if it's so sharply defined hmm. that's the only thing i would say because i think that's a helpful. lot of things can go either way hmm. you know i think um like think of like a print book or something. You have a print book out that costs you know thirteen or fifteen dollars or whatever at Amazon. It's not going to really make me a lot of money, but there it is for sale. You know, mm-hmm. so I, I guess um, I don't know. Some projects can go either way. I guess I tend to focus not so much on those distinctions and like thinking about it so much. I, I just tend to focus on like what's the next thing, and the next thing may be totally commercial. It may be totally nonprofit. Um, it may you know probably. 50% or greater odds that it's going to be it's going to have a, a blend of both of those things but I, I just focus mostly on what's the next thing what am I going to get out and then when that's done what's next you know hmm. I like the building process well let's switch gears for a second I, I, I want to go to um, uh, a scenario so you're traveling in some foreign country and again I've read these kinds of dynamics on your blog uh, but uh, I'm picturing you in an environment where things aren't going your way you're in a country uh, maybe you missed a flight you missed a train you missed a bus uh, you got mud in your sneakers, whatever it is, someone stole yeah. your bag, and and your circumstances are showing up in a way that aren't your preference, and you have to, and you're asking the question, well, what's next? Yeah. How do, how do you negotiate those moments where serendipity is not on your side? Okay, um, I usually whine, I complain, <laughs> I bitch a little bit to myself, I feel sorry for myself, and then I try to keep that process, you know, as quick as possible. You know, I know I'm going to do that. I know I'm going to be like, oh, you know, it's so hard to travel the world and, like, work from anywhere and, like, you know, have all this freedom and opportunity, you know. And then, like, you know, then we shut that down. And then it's like, okay, now I have to, like, take matters into my own hands because no one's going to solve this for me. You know, so then I guess I start, um, 
I guess I, get, I start going through GTD thinking and like, okay, what's the you know, what's the outcome I'm looking for here? I was hoping to do this, but this did not take place. Therefore, I need to readjust. You know, mm -hmm. like what is the next scenario? What are the options? And, uh, mm -hmm. and I guess it's actionable, right? Yeah, exactly. Because you know, you can get stuck on things forever, and uh, and I do. You know, um, but I hate that about myself because then then like you can't change anything about that scenario if the flight has already departed or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. You can only take responsibility for the future. So I guess I just try to be future-minded in whatever I do and mm -hmm. limit the limit the whining process. Mm -hmm. But it, but it is definitely still there. Well, honestly, I, I think for myself and for the folks at home listening, that this really is that that's a breath of fresh air because I think honestly when. It's tempting to, to when in looking at just the finished product of things to, to realize or to, to think that there is no process. That you just kind of wake up one day and oh, here's you know <laughs> but the it's new all thing. process. You know, that's <laughs> a funny thing, no, it's all process. You know, hmm. and every you know, I think every working artist or every artist who's passionate about creating understands that, and that's definitely hmm. something that um, maybe the average person, you know, on the other, other side of the screen or other side of the art form, whatever it is, maybe they don't, they don't see. But I think it's, it's, not, it's not that process is supplementary. It's that process is, is almost everything, you know? In, including the final, the final product. That's just sure. one, one milestone along the way. Right, of course. Well, I, I should mention just for context in case people didn't uh, catch it uh, there, when Chris mentioned GTD, most of you guys are familiar with this, but if you're not, uh, check out David Allen's Getting Things Done as a whole, or just Google it. There's a gazillion yes. uh, cult followers around this, this idea, and I'm, I'm one of them. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, I think there's a lot of value in that if you want to follow up on that. Um, I do want to talk about uh, this new project that you that is coming into the world, uh, this uh, $100 startup book. And of course, you know, there are some cynics on, on our show that are at home rolling their eyes going, okay, great, $100 startup, great. great. This works for Chris and his wife and no kids and a cat. But, yeah, you know, right. what about me and my world? And right. uh, talk a little bit about what led to you creating this, this book called $100 Startup. And okay. and is it is it just a, a clever hook to people uh, to get people to, to pick it up? That, that's all it is, Dane. It's just a hook. I'm away my secret. Um, no. Um, you know, the hundred dollar startup is actually—it's—it's it's not really about me at all. The first—the first book I wrote, *The Art of Nonconformity*, um, was a lot of my own story, and the hundred dollar startup has some of my story. Um, but actually, it's a comprehensive study that I've been doing for about two and a half years, um, talking with all kinds of people uh, who—I I call them like accidental entrepreneurs or unexpected entrepreneurs. Hmm. Um, there's a lot of creatives, but all kinds of other people who are working corporate jobs and they got fired or laid off or something. And they had to kind of find a way to like navigate this whole new economy. Mm -hmm. So it's really the collective story of uh, about 70 different people from all walks of life. A lot of them are married with kids. Um, a lot of them were, were older. Some were younger, you know, from all over the world. It's very diverse. Uh, and so it's the story of how they've created, um, you know, a successful business, you know, based on following their passion, based on following something that they were really excited about, um, and mm -hmm. then finding a way to connect that, you know, to the marketplace. Um, so it's actually a very data-driven book um, hmm. you know like everybody in the, the study had to provide all kinds of details they had to provide lots of financials they had to hmm. talk about how much money they make every year hmm. uh, how much it costs to start up their business which in many cases was less than a hundred dollars um, not in every case um, you know, I think our average was something like three hundred and fifty dollars but we decided like the three hundred forty six dollar startup didn't sound as good as the hundred dollar startup <laughs> I don't know two hundred seventy nine days to an overnight success sounded this worked for you so this is true, yes dollars uh, you know but I mean a lot of them are under a hundred dollars most of them are under a thousand dollars and you know the book just kind of goes through how they did it and, and what went right and what went wrong and how they recovered and um, mm -hmm. and so it's the collective story of all these people and then it's a blueprint you know for readers to follow on their own as well 
Are they all uh, for-profit or some non-profit? Anything in the uh, social sector? Yeah, this this book focuses mostly on for-profit. Um, a lot of them have like a non-profit element to what they're doing, which is kind of like my thing. Um, and there, there are some social things as well. I mean, but I, I'm interested in businesses that, that kind of connect these things. You know, there's a story, um, you know, there in California of, uh, I think it's called Heritage Link Brands. Uh, it's, a, it's a couple who uh, started importing wine from South Africa, uh, but they imported wine from only black-owned vineyards. And so the story there is like, you know, you know, South Africa is 80% black, but right. uh, you know, only 3% of the vineyards were owned by were, you know, owned by by um, black South Africans. And so they started this whole business, you know, kind of catering to that market, bringing those wines to the United States. So it's it's a for-profit million-dollar business, but it also has this social component too. Hmm. I like that a lot. It's it's funny. You remind me a lot of I've never met Jim, but Jim Collins and the work that I've read on him. And that it seems like you're very the idea of it being data-driven rather than just kind of off the top of your head ideas and that you've been processing this for quite a while. It sounds like a, a pretty interesting resource. Are other, who are some other folks that are in the book that like one person that comes to mind, I just wanted to mention is uh, we have a mutual friend, I think in Todd Henry, um, oh, yeah. Accidental Creative and, and um, a couple other mutual friends and Ann Hanley and others. But are there some other folks that are of note that people might, might know, or are most of these folks going to be people that you've never heard of, but you're going to want to hear their story? Yeah, that second thing is what I really focused on because I feel like there's a lot of resources that focus on people who are known. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, also a lot of these things tend to focus on like celebrity bloggers, so to speak, you know. That's right. Uh, and, and that's fine. But like, I wanted to act like, what about ordinary people who didn't necessarily want to start a blog or whatever? Um, so it's just a lot of stories of people that you've never heard of, but, you know, they're making $100,000 a year and, you know, doing something to a very small audience, um, but it's mm -hmm. something that they're very excited about. You know, they, they found some kind of skill that connects with the marketplace. There are some photographers, um, there are some creatives, there are some retail store owners, people who opened retail stores during the recession and mm -hmm. have actually been very successful mm -hmm. at it. Um, you know, so I'm sure there's some people that are known, but I would say most of them are just, you know, regular people. Um, <laughs> but there's a connection, you know, there's a connection, there's a convergence between what you're passionate about, what you're skilled at, and what people, other people value enough to spend money on. That's what Brett found out. You know, that's what a lot of these stories are about. So I guess, uh, you know, with all this so-called wisdom that I had acquired, you know, in the 10 years um, that I got back, um, I would really start focusing on that. And then the second part of it would be whatever I could do quickly to put something together and get it out there and make an offer without spending money. You know, I would spend $10 on my domain name, except it would be like $100 for a domain name 10 years ago. But right. you know, <laughs> I, I would get my little GeoCities website up, you know, and I would be like, I, you know, I am the, I am now the expert on whatever it is, and you can hire me, you know, here um, through PayPal, which may have not actually been around then. But you know, the point <laughs> is, I would, I would like very quickly, I would, I would put something out to the world. I would find a way to get one customer, and then, I, and that one customer, even if they're paying me like five dollars, you know, I would treat that customer like the most important person in the world. And then I would be like, who else do you know that I could help with this? Hmm. Um, if I was trying to build a platform, I might have five readers, and one of them would be my grandma. But again, <laughs> most important people in the world, you know, and those five people would lead me to 10 people and 50, you know, and I would just build from there. And hopefully, like, you know, over time, more structure would come about. Mm -hmm. But the point is, like, you know, the skills you have are all you need. Like, you have this unique experience. Everyone does. You don't have to go to Africa or every country in the world or whatever. Um, you have something that's, that's valuable. And so I would focus relentlessly on trying to figure that out. Hmm. Well, a bunch of what I'm hearing in that is uh, take action. Uh, don't go into debt necessarily. Look for convergence. 
it's okay to be an expert on something. Yeah. Uh, look resourcefully, one customer at a time. Build the platform one one person at a time. Be patient. Um, skills you have or what you have, and and this idea of focus. And I guess that's the piece that I'm I'm left with, and I'm excited about moving forward. I can't wait to get your book. Is is drilling down around around because it sounds like you have to say no to a lot of things to make all of this work. Yeah, I, mean, I suppose, but I say yes to what I'm excited about. You know, mm -hmm. I actually say yes a lot more than I say no. Hmm. Um, you know, I heard somebody, somebody said once, like, you should say no 12 times for every one time you say yes. I think for me, it's the opposite, you know? Huh. Well, I'm glad you said yes to this interview. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Chris. Thanks for having me, man. All right. This was episode 011 of Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. FastTrackCreative.com is our home where you'll find past episodes, our Better Together community, and a ton of great resources for artists looking to make a difference with their creations. Music today provided by TripleScoopMusic.com. Sound as good as you look. Special thanks to Chris Gillibo for being with us. For more, including his World Domination Summit and his very cool Pioneer Nation conference specifically geared for solopreneurs committed to independent work, please visit ChrisGillibo.com. You can also read his very informative blog and follow him on Twitter. Finally, I want to thank all of you who've invested valuable time to spread the word about this show, leave questions and comments on the site, and rate us at places like iTunes. As always, we recognize you caring enough to do that is a big deal, and we are grateful. That's it. I'm Dane Sanders. I'll see you here next time.